This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Sitting up, getting the call from the big leagues, Matt Reynolds filling in for Robin Washett today as we have a special holiday edition of the Husker Online Show, kind of a wrap on some recruiting. We talk a little basketball, uh, but we're, we're going to start off talking the Peach Bowl here. This is uh, the week where Nebraska fans are all going to be zoned in to watch Scott Frost in his final game at Central Florida as he takes uh, his Central Florida Knights against Auburn in a Peach Bowl game where they find themselves pretty significant underdogs. And a lot of us from the Nebraska media will be in Atlanta. I'll be out there with Robin Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and Monday. We come back after the game Monday night. Um, And uh, it's interesting, Nate, just how many people around here are going to be kind of following this closely. And and, and what's your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think if Central Florida goes out there and plays, I mean, what are the positives and negatives, I guess, in your eyes that could come out of this Peach Bowl game, if you, if you look at it right now? Well, I, I think that from my perspective, this is a win-win for Nebraska, um, regardless of what the outcome is, because I think that the exposure that Coach Frost and the staff is going to get for all the great things that they've accomplished at Central Florida um, in the last two years, the, you know, that complete turnaround that they've had, everything that they've accomplished this season, having an undefeated regular season, having top-ranked offense, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, like Bill Moose said, it's going to be like a three-and-a-half, four-hour infomercial for Nebraska. Plus, if you add on the fact that um, you know if they go out there and, and beat Auburn, a team that is just a few weeks removed from beating Alabama, um, I mean that that's going to give a huge boost to I think Nebraska's recruiting. It's going to open up a lot of eyes from a lot of prospects from around the country. And and if they happen to lose, you know what? Well, that's supposed to happen. They're they're picked to lose. Um, you know, and I think if in even if it's an ugly loss, well, okay, they were they were juggling. You know, there's some built-in. I don't know if excuses is the right word, but um, it, it's just to me, I think it's a win-win regardless. Well, they'll certainly be locked in to the TV screens here in this state. I mean, you look at around the state, how many people are just um, are so excited for this matchup, and it's not even the red team playing on yeah. the field. It's black and gold UCF, and uh, I think a lot of people are excited for this one. Bill Moose, like you said, uh, mentioned it as like a three-and-a-half-hour marketing commercial. It's not just going to be the fact that Scott Frost is on that field. It'll be the main topic point for the announcers. I mean, a couple nights ago, you look at the bowl game that Kansas State and UCLA played in, all the announcers could talk about was Josh Rosen, who wasn't even playing in the game. Imagine how much of a storyline Scott Frost coming back to Nebraska is. That'll be the key point for those broadcasters, and it'll be an interesting topic to listen to. And there is some familiarity uh, with Gus Malzahn and Scott Frost and his staff. If you remember, Oregon, when they played Auburn in the BCS National Championship game, Gus Malzahn was the offensive coordinator for Cam Newton. So, I, you know, that there is some knowledge, I think, of, of kind of how Auburn operates with Malzahn, uh, with some of the guys that work around Frost. So I'll be interested to kind of see how that plays out. But mainly, Nate, I want to see just how can this system really work 
against kind of bigger, stronger players. Because Auburn's going to have guys that are two or three inches taller. They're going to be 20, 30, 40 pounds heavier at a lot of key positions. But Central Florida is going to be faster. Uh, will they be able to schematically kind of use their speed against the size of Auburn? Yeah, the speed part, I mean, is uh, that doesn't really tip the scales, you know, one way or the other, in my opinion. Generally, you would think that an SEC team would be the the faster team, but that's not the case here by any stretch. And, um, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what happens in the trenches. I think that's where, that's where this game could be won or lost. You know, it's how UCF's offensive line and defense defensive line for that matter holds up against the Auburn fronts and uh, um, they are much much bigger um, but I I would have a feeling that um, that the offense is going to be kind of schemed to to help neutralize that or, or to help make that a non-factor in this game. So, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely one thing that's really going to be you know interesting uh, for me to pay attention to. Guys, I'm most interested to see Eric Chenander's defense in this game against a real physical Auburn team. They won the SEC West. They beat Alabama, and they're physical up front. They've got four, five-star guys that could push you around. UCF went up and beat Maryland. That's a Big Ten team that likes to run the football a lot, but that was the first game Maryland was without what was their second-string quarterback yeah. playing for the first time with Max Bortenschlager up there, who was their third-string quarterback. So UCF might have gotten a better draw with Maryland. This is their first Power 5 game since then. They play the high-powered offenses of the AAC. We watched the last two weeks when they played South Florida and Memphis. and This is not going to be a South Florida and Memphis-type team. I'm interested to see how Eric Shenander's 3-4 and that defensive line holds up against a strong Auburn offensive line and a great quarterback in Jarrett Sidham. I will say, though, South Florida is close. And South Florida and Memphis are closer to SEC teams than people probably want to admit. I mean, they have a lot of SEC-caliber players. And, yeah, I think Shenander gets almost a bad rap a little bit from Husker fans because the only two games Nebraska fans really watched were against Memphis and South Florida. And and, then those are two teams that had top ten national offenses, and they put up yards and points. If you look at the other games Central Florida played, I think it was 24 or less points in all of the games other than the Austin P game. Uh, they gave up over 30 in that game, but that was because their starters were out for really the entire second half. So um, I, I, I'm not overreacting on on the defense, and you can't really have both either. If you want to have an offense like uh, Scott Frost runs, sometimes you're going to have to give up some concessions with your defense or make some concessions with your defense, and, and I think that you're going to give up a few more points, uh, but if you can score at the level that Central Florida is doing, which is number one in the nation, Nate, um, you know, I, I think you take that. Yeah, absolutely you take that. Um, you know, and, and if you look at the – the yards per play um, and the the points per per drive uh, that the defense gives up, it, it's still pretty good uh, because th- these guys that defense is playing probably about a almost a game and a half compared to some other defenses from across the country. So they're they're logging a lot of plays uh, each and every single game. So um, you know, and then when you look at what they do in the turnover category, this this defense has been very proficient at, at uh, getting turnovers, creating. Turn- turnovers, being very disruptive. Um, so I, I think that's what you have to look at when you're really trying to judge Eric Chenander's defense and uh, you know just how good it is. 
Hinchinander's first public Nebraska interview last week on the Husker Sports Network, he said he wanted his defense to focus on three things. That was keeping the points down, creating turnovers, and mainly just getting the ball back to that offense. He knows that with a fast-paced offense like this that doesn't hold the ball for very long, the defensive numbers are going to be skewed. So he says he doesn't even really look at stats because those stats are usually not going to be pretty for a defense that's on the field for as long as they are. But he wants his defense to be well-conditioned and be able to be on the field for that long to keep the points down. And he didn't use this term, but this sounds a little bit like Ben don't break, but I feel like overall it might be a better philosophy than we saw for the past year with Bob Diaco. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the discussion over to Big Ten Bowl games and kind of give our thoughts and predictions on some of these bigger matchups here over the weekend. And, you know, the Big Ten's out of the playoffs, but they still have three teams in the New Year's Six Bowl games. Um, So there is a lot to play for in some of these matchups for the Big Ten. Uh, They're 2-0 right now uh, as Iowa and Purdue both got wins to open up bowl season. There's six more Big Ten bowl games remaining. We'll give our thoughts on those next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Matt Reynoldson sitting in today for Robin Washett as he is traveling for the holidays. And, you know, Nebraska's not in a bowl game, guys, but we wanted to talk some Big Ten bowl games here. The conference already off to a 2-0 start. Uh, Iowa gets a win. Purdue gets a win to start. Let's let's start with those two games. I, I thought uh, Iowa... You know, it was kind of what we expected, an ugly kind of slobber knocker Iowa game. Boston College was a great matchup for them. They're not an explosive offense. They play kind of a similar style. Then you had Purdue, um, who I think is probably the bigger surprise of the two because, you know, you're playing an Arizona team with Khalil Tate, Rich Rodriguez. Um, you know, they they probably had a better grade of players across the board, and it was Purdue's first bowl game in a number of years. And, man, they came out prepared. Uh, Jeff Brom, like always, had trick plays, including the the kneel down play that was beautiful. Led to a field goal before halftime. Um, early on, Purdue has been the surprise story of the two Big Ten bowl games. Yeah, per- Purdue. That one shocked me. Um, I, I'll be perfectly honest with that. I did not see that coming. I, I thought it would be competitive, but I was not expecting uh, them to to play that well. Especially like you said, Khalil Tate to me. Is kind of, uh, I mean, he's he's. How do you how do you prepare for that guy? Um, yeah, I just don't know how uh, how you can you know really simulate that type of athlete playing the quarterback position in practice. So uh, to me, that was that was the biggest surprise, and and definitely you know gets the conference off to one heck of a start because I don't know too many other people that would have counted that Purdue bowl game as a win to start things off. This came out on Twitter last night after the game, and this is extremely impressive. Purdue quarterback Elijah Sindelar, since the Northwestern game, played on a torn ACL the whole year. And so that's pretty pretty impressive if you look at his numbers throughout that bowl game. And obviously he split time with junior quarterback David Blau. But Purdue, that offense is rolling. And Jeff Brom really led a great season in that turnaround from what Daryl Hazel did there. I mean, if you look at it, they should have probably maybe won nine games. They should have beat Nebraska. They should have beat Nebraska. They probably should have beat Rutgers. And so those are two more games on the schedule. And you're looking maybe a nine-win Purdue season. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of blows your mind a little bit there. But uh, for that Iowa game, um, on the flip side, uh, one of my favorite national columnists said, this is the two long-lost siblings that don't know their siblings. (laughs) And they certainly played like it last night, Boston College. 
um, not very high in the yard yard totals. Turned the ball over three times. Iowa only 200 total yards, but won the game, scoring 27 points. I mean, that was a, a slobber knocker game on the frozen turf at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, the turf was terrible as uh, we look at that Iowa game. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, the segment of the show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. It is your destination to watch the Peach Bowl and all the bowl game action here over the weekend. And we're taping this show, guys, Thursday morning. Um, So there is another Big Ten game here Thursday night. Washington State, Michigan State in San Diego. It's the first year the Holiday Bowl is going to be at Qualcomm Stadium. Uh, They're no longer playing in the Chargers Stadium because the Chargers aren't playing in there anymore. And that Stadium, by the way, was an absolute dump. I've covered my fair share of holiday bowls, but um, it will be interesting to see this matchup uh, because Washington State, as we know, um, plays a completely different style than every Big Ten team, Nate. Uh, Michigan State, we know how they play. They're a sound, fundamental, defensive program. I'm giving an edge to Washington State. I, I just think that you know they they played at a Holiday Bowl a year ago as well against uh, Minnesota, but I I think Mike Leach pulls this one out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that Mike Mike Leach probably does pull this out. Um, the the gem that he is. I don't know if, if you guys saw the the video that was going around of, of that press conference uh, with when uh, when coach when to, coach D'Antonio was. Uh, uh, Talking and, and Mike Leach was blowing in his coffee, trying to <laughs> trying to cool it off. But uh, but yeah, I think again, it's it's hard to prepare. Uh, I know they've had some time to do it, but it's hard to to simulate uh, that type of offense a little bit. And uh, you know, and they've had you know one heck of a turnaround uh, this season with with what they've done at Washington State. So um, you know, I, I expect the game to be somewhat close, but I'm I'm probably give the edge to to the Cougars. Who do you have, Matt? Yeah, guys, when the bowl schedule came out, I was more interested in the press conference on this one than the actual game. But uh, I think I got Washington State in this one. Luke Falk, too good a quarterback. A couple of games, guys, on Friday, December 29th. Um, starts off for the Big Ten, Kentucky versus Northwestern. Uh, it's a 3.30 game on ESPN in the Music City Bowl where Nebraska was a year ago. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love Northwestern this matchup. I think a team like Kentucky is going to probably look at Northwestern's players, Nate. They're going to be like, oh, these guys don't look like athletes, and Northwestern's going to treat this game like the Super Bowl, and I think Northwestern wins this one easily. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that Northwestern goes into the bowl game uh, very very confident and a smart group of kids, and I think uh, Coach Fitzgerald's going to have these guys ready to roll. Boy, if Husker fans want to return to Nashville, there's a lot of tickets available for that game <laughs> uh, in Nashville. Um, should be a fun one. Northwestern's let me down too many times in bowl games in the past against somewhat inferior opponents. I'm going to have to take Kentucky in this one. All right, now we're on to the New Year's Six that same day in the Cotton Bowl. It's basically a Rose Bowl that's played in Dallas, the Big Ten champ Ohio State against the Pac-12 champ USC, two teams that felt like they were playoff caliber playing in this game. And and to me, this is by far the the, the marquee bowl game for the conference, um, as, as we'll see kind of how – how these two teams match up, and you know, will will Urban Meyer be able to get his team up for this, knowing that they were that close to the playoff, and can Sam Darnold, you know, finish out strong as he's trying to make a final case as the number one NFL draft pick? I I think that uh, this is probably the game that I'm most looking forward to watching, and and I think that we're going to see Ohio State play really really well. I think they're going to be a motivated group. I think they're going to be looking to to kind of prove a lot of people wrong, prove people that that they should have been in the playoff, and. Um, you know, and I have question marks about how how much um, or how well I should say UC, USC is going to come to the table and be prepared for this game. 
I have questions about how good USC's offensive line is because they've been decimated with injuries for part of the year. And we know how good that Ohio State D line is. Yep. Impressive front four for Ohio State. And I think this is JT Barrett's swan song. All those athletes against athletes should be a fun matchup. But I got Ohio State in this one. We're talking Big Ten Bowl games here now moving on to Saturday, December 30th. Uh, there are two Big Ten teams playing. And this one intrigues me because you just don't see this matchup ever. Washington versus Penn State. The game is in Phoenix. Um, so there'll be a lot of travel, but I'm sure Penn State fans will go out there. Saquon Barkley, uh, McSorley, this will be um, a way for them to end this season off uh, in a bigger bowl game. Uh, Washington with Chris Peterson. Uh, yeah, this is a hard one to read because Penn State just lost one of their coordinators to Mississippi State. Moorhead is now the Mississippi State head coach. Um, I don't know. I, it's a coin flip. I, I probably lean a little bit more towards Washington on this one right now. You know, I, I, I'm kind of feeling the opposite. I'm leaning a little <laughs> bit more towards Penn State. Um, and I do think it'll be a close one. And But I, I think that if you give me McSorley and Barkley, uh, assuming that both those guys, you know, are going to be are healthy and are going to be playing, um, you know, I, I think that that's why I would lean a little bit more towards Penn State in this matchup. With the way Washington has looked this year, throwing the ball, I think with any other matchup for Washington, I'd probably pick him to win. But Penn State starts four senior defensive backs, and I think that's the difference for the Nittany Lions in this game. They're going to pick off. Um, Browning a couple times, and I think Washington has some trouble in this game. And then in the Orange Bowl, it's a home game for Miami. Wisconsin versus Miami. Um, the game's at Hard Rock Stadium. 7 o'clock game Saturday night on ESPN. And, you know, this is uh, another one where, you know, I think Wisconsin's highly motivated to be here. They, they always get up for these games. Is Miami highly motivated to be back at home for a bowl game in their home stadium with no trip? Um, I, I like Wisconsin in this game. I think the Badgers will treat this game like a big game. Uh, they've got more experience in these types of games than Miami, and I think they figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I look to that Miami-Notre Dame game. You know, Notre Dame has one heck of an offensive line, and uh, and we saw how that, that game kind of transpired there in Miami, and I think that we could very well see much of the same uh, between the Badgers and the Hurricanes here. I, I like the Badgers. When you're limping to the finish line, the last team you want to face is Wisconsin. Miami's been decimated with injuries this year. We know how physical Wisconsin is. They show it against Nebraska and all the Big Ten teams every single year. I look at this sort of like uh, Wisconsin playing Western Michigan last year. If this is one of those big blue bloods, I think Western Michigan had a chance to pull the upset last year, but it's not. It's Wisconsin. They, sh they get up the same for every single game, and uh, I got Wisconsin in this game because I don't think Miami will be able to uh, keep up with the physicality. And then uh, briefly, we're not going to talk much about this game, but it's January 1, Michigan, South Carolina. I like Michigan in this one. I think they roll. Uh, I think Harbaugh takes this game serious. He wants to stick it to an SEC team. I think they get get it done in Tampa. I'll take the Wolverines, too. Last time Michigan and South Carolina played, it was that Jadavion Clowney hit yeah. that uh, jarred the ball loose, one of the best highlight plays. I'll take Michigan, though. Who do you guys have in the playoff? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I like Georgia a lot. Um you know, freshman quarterback uh, Jake Fromm has played so well throughout the year, but uh, that Oklahoma matchup should be pretty fun. I'll take the safe pick. I'll go Clemson to win it all again. I'm gonna I'm I'm riding the uh, the Baker Mayfield train here all the way to the end. I like Oklahoma as well. I, I don't know why. I just think this is their year to get it done. It's a I like the matchup for them in the semis, and then they go. 
against an SEC team or Clemson, Alabama or Clemson, on on really a short week um, so that they'll have an advantage because those teams won't have a lot of time to get ready for Baker Mayfield. All right, when we come back, Robin Washett will join us via phone as we'll talk some Nebraska basketball. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now joined via phone by Robin Washett, who is in route back to Lincoln as we get ready to go to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. But um, So Nebraska basketball still in front of us here, Robin. Uh, the Huskers have one non-conference game remaining. The goal right now is to get to 10-5. and five. Stetson comes to Lincoln Friday night for a 7 o'clock game. The team has had the week off um, without a game. Uh, I think the players came back to Lincoln. I heard Tim Miles say on the 26th. Um, what are you expecting to see? How do you think the team comes back after kind of a longer layoff here uh, over the holidays? Yeah, this is the second week-long break that they've had. Um, you know, you could talk about the Kansas-Creighton game. Um, that was over finals week. And so, you know, they've, they've gone through this before. Um, this is a little bit different because there's no school. And so guys really um, – had a lot of time off. I know a bunch of guys went back home uh, to spend a few days, you know, with their families. So, I, you know, there's been situations where, you know, you were worried about how they were going to come back, you know, particularly that Texas-San Antonio game. And while things got a little dicey there, uh, you know, they were able to respond the right way. And so I expect the same situation. You know, Stetson, um, they're not a good team in any stretch. This should be a game Nebraska just comes in, takes care of business, and it's really, you know, not even close throughout uh, and so that's kind of the way they've handled their business all year long. And uh, even with the time off, uh, you know, I expect them to, to finish this thing out strong and get ready in, uh, for league play. Yeah, and, and Robin, they will go on the road to open up Big Ten play for two consecutive games um, against two NCAA tournament teams from a year ago. Uh, they'll play mm-hmm. two, Tuesday night. Uh, against Northwestern. Um, they're not playing in Evanston. They're playing in a different arena because of the construction going on in campus. That's a 8 o'clock game. And then they've got Purdue on January 6th for a one fifteen game uh, before coming home to Wisconsin. Three of the first four Big Ten games are on the road for this team. Um, first of all, what's your thoughts on the draw the Big Ten gave Tim Miles and, and, and what's kind of the best-case scenario in your eyes over this first four-game stretch? Yeah, it's usually one way or the other. Either it's really front-loaded like it is now or it's severely back-loaded like it was a year ago. So um, I think in the long run, you would rather just get them out of the way. You know, they already got Michigan State done. You know, they got one game against Minnesota done. Um, so now you go through this, you know, these first four games of the meet of league play, and it, it's not going to be easy because uh, they're going to be pretty heavy underdogs, I think, in all four of those road games, even the Penn State game. You know, we talk about how bad the league is. Um, as far as, you know, your traditional um, nationally elite programs um, after Michigan State. But at the same time, the bottom of the conference is a lot better. And so your Rutgers, your Penn State, um, you know, th- those games aren't gimmies anymore. And so Nebraska is going to go to uh, State College on January 12th and probably be pretty hefty underdogs. And so that leaves that Wisconsin game at home. You know, Wisconsin is, is down uh, in a big way this year. Um, that's probably going to be the one game out of that stretch that Nebraska, you, know, you, you kind of expect them to win going in. And so, I mean, that's that's probably the the, the least you want to get out of that, um, get win the game at home. And if you can find a way to, you know, maybe beat a Northwestern, um, and then maybe beat Penn State. You know, I think probably two and two is the most realistic outcome. 
because uh, you're not going to beat Purdue. Um, you know, after Michigan State, they're probably the next best team in the conference right now, um, and they're really kind of establishing themselves as you know probably a top you know three or four seed um, in the projected tournament bracket. So that that's kind of one of those games you know like a Michigan State earlier in December that you just kind of write off. Um, but you know the the Northwestern game, I think, and then maybe the Penn State game. You know, those are those games that Nebraska is going to try and you know, make a push here early. Those are the games you have to win. But definitely, more than anything, you've got to protect home court and you got to win that Wisconsin Big game East. to keep yourself above water uh, going into the back end of that schedule. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk Nebraska basketball with Robin Washington. And Robin, when you look at the Big Ten this year, you know, from an NCAA tournament perspective, it, you know, like you mentioned, the bottom is better but in some ways that's going to make this league probably have less NCAA tournament teams because those bottom teams are going to steal more wins from the yeah. top and the middle. And y- you look at it right now, I mean, I think it's safe to say the Big Ten's going to get five in, but six seems about like the most. I think seven or eight is is a is not even an, a realistic thought at this point. No, and they got seven last year, and I just don't see that happening. I think the league is going to eat itself. Um, you know, again – there were those games when you know when Rutgers or you know Penn State or even a down um, you know obviously Nebraska team when they came to town uh, you just chalk those up as a win but you, you don't have those anymore uh, and so you know unless unless you're Tom Izzo um, or you know Matt Painter you know you're you're going into every league game expecting a dogfight and so that's you know a good thing you know for a team like Nebraska that um, you know, your chances of finishing in the top half of the conference all of a sudden look a whole lot better but at the same time you know like you said you're not going to have those guaranteed uh, you know situation where half the conference makes the NCAA tournament uh, because uh, I'm, I'm with you I think that you know you're probably looking at five or six being a lot more realistic than the seven or eight that we've seen in years past. Robin when you look at teams in this conference Iowa also surprises me as a team that's way down there eight and six R- yeah. RPI 152 is Fran McCaffrey in any kind of trouble uh, they went to NIT. I know they've been in a lot of NITs lately um, in a play. I think they had a play-in game, uh, but it just seems like they've topped out with him. I don't know if they can get any better. Um, and Iowa is a great, great program as far as access to in-state talent and players around there. And, and McCaffrey is antics. He's just not a likable guy. Is he is he is he in any kind of trouble this year, or has he done enough to kind of buy a bad year? I wouldn't say at this point. And you look at it; they've been devastated by injuries. Their backcourt. Uh, they're struggling to even put a point guard on the floor right now. Uh, so I, I, I'm not necessarily all that uh, red alert on McCaffrey just yet. Um, I think this is kind of one of those seasons. They, they're still a relatively young team. You know, last year they were one of the youngest teams in the conference, and, you know, they had the success that they did. But they've had some injuries, but they're still, you know, a team that, you know, I think has a lot of potential to them. Um, obviously, they have to stay healthy. And the good news is they just signed uh, Fran's kid, who's a top 25 uh, player in the 2018 class so they're going to add you know another pretty key piece here next year so I think that he's got a little bit uh, of leeway here even though this has been a terrible start to the season and Robin as we look at non-conference uh, play for Nebraska as we uh, talk Husker hoops here with Robin Washett on the Husker online show what has been when you look at players on this Nebraska team who has been the guy through these first 15 games or so that has surprised you that you're like, wow, I knew he had this, but man, he's overmet my expectations. Yeah, that easy answer is Evan Taylor. Um, you know, he was a guy that obviously played a lot of minutes last year, um, just mostly because he had to, just because they didn't really have any guard depth. He was the last addition 
to the 2017 class as a JUCO transfer, and um, he was a good on-ball defender, but really didn't bring anything to the table offensively. Well, you can see the work that he's put in with his offensive game over the offseason. You know, he's averaging just under nine points a game, but more importantly, um, he's shooting 52% from three-point range, um, shooting just under seven or 47% from the field, and so he's become a legitimate scoring option for them after you know, those top-line guys of Palmer, Watson, Copeland. Uh, and that's been huge, uh, you know, because that's, that was the one knock is just the, the lack of scorers that they had last year. But when you have, you know, arguably your top vocal senior leader able to back that up with his, you know, production on the court, that's been a huge boost. And, um, you know, just being the ability to space the floor um, and the element that he's brought to the scoring side to go along with his defense, um, has really made him uh, a huge asset. Um, you know, not only that, um, he's got 44 assists. That's second on the team already. Um, so he's doing a little bit of everything. Uh, and so I would say that just the jump he's made from being a serviceable kind of defensive-oriented guy to being an all-around kind of go-to player in this lineup uh, has just been as surprising as anything for me. And, the, and then briefly, Robin, as we wrap this discussion up, is it safe to say now, I know we discussed this when Isaac Copeland was ruled eligible, has he been worth a couple of wins? Do you think if they don't have him uh, for this early stretch of the season, uh, they would have dropped a Minnesota type of game or a Boston College or, or one of these games, even Texas-San Antonio, I guess he would have been eligible for that game. But just having Copeland early, uh, do you think it's been worth a win or two? Yeah, I think I think it has just because of the front court scoring element that he's brought. Um, outside of him, um, and maybe Isaiah Roby, uh, they have no production from their bigs when it comes to scoring the basketball. So um, that in itself has been a huge value. Uh, and you know, I think early on in the year you saw him just kind of having to work off that rust because it was a long time since he played a competitive basketball game. Uh, and it showed, you know, he just didn't look confident. He was settling for bad jumpers. But um, I think kind of starting with that trip to Orlando and then especially coming back um, in that Boston College game, you really kind of saw him get back into his own a little bit. And so there's been some games where you look at him and you say, wow, that, that's a five star. Um, you know, that that Creighton game, you know, that game's not even close if it weren't for Isaac Copeland. So um, he's one of those players that seems to be at his best at the bigger stages. Uh, and that's going to be a big, big asset for Nebraska going forward, um, just because, you know, with the, the struggles that, you know, Jordy Schmanga has been having, you know, you're not going to get anything offensively from Doobie OKK. Uh, Isaac Copeland is that one guy that can give you a legitimate front court scoring option. Uh, and so I think that he's only going to keep getting better, and he's going to have to if Nebraska's going to have any chance of making a run here. Robin Washington. Hey, Robin, I'll, I'll see you at the uh, the airport as we get ready to head to Atlanta on Friday morning. Bright and early, man. All right. Hey, thanks. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, take your questions in the mailbag as Matt Reynoldson and Nate Klaus will rejoin me. Uh, that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Matt Reynoldson sitting in here today for Robin Washett as we take your questions now in the mailbag. And, you know, it's been a quiet week for the most part as 
The coaches are back in Orlando, now Atlanta for the bowl game. Recruiting is in the dead period, but still plenty to talk about, Matt. And, and what do you got this week to lead us off in the mailbag? Well, it certainly feels like Nebraska's playing in the bowl game because future head coach Scott Frost is leading the UCF Knights in the Peach Bowl. So first question in the mailbag, how will the Peach Bowl reflect the future of Nebraska football? I just think it's going to give Nebraska fans um, a taste of just this offense again. And I, I don't think... We have all that good of a taste yet. We, we have an idea of what it's going to look like, but the more we get to see it, I think you're just going to get a better feel. And this coaching staff, I, I, I want to see how this coaching staff operates and works now another game because you know we, we had a pretty good idea on the Memphis game. Scott Frost was coming, but we didn't know yet for sure that it was done. Now we know 100% sure that this is Nebraska's entire coaching staff coaching this game, and I think a lot of people will be interested to see how that all looks on as big of a stage as these guys have ever really coached on uh, at Central Florida. Yeah, I, I think that getting an opportunity to see what the scheme looks like both on both sides of the football uh, against a high-quality opponent is going to be very important. You know, how well does the coaching staff – um, you know, handle the pressure of being on a on a big stage like this. You know, what type of adjustments are we going to see at halftime? And just just little things like that, and 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 knowing full well that that's not the you know this game's not the end all be all. Uh, you know, everything that we see uh, during this game is not exactly what it's going to be like at Nebraska necessarily, but it should give us a pretty good idea of what to expect. You know, as things unfold here in the near future, it certainly seems like the Nebraska fandom has become. Uh, experts on UCF football in the past month. But coming up next month, we'll focus back in on Nebraska football and strength and conditioning, which Scott Frost said is going to be more intense in the coming months. So which position group needs the most strength and conditioning work after the offensive line? <laughs> I was going to say offensive line first, but uh, everybody. I mean, I don't know if there's one group, but if I was going to go another group, I would say the defensive line needs to continue to develop a lot of young guys on there. I look for Damian Daniels to make a big jump in his second year in the program. He arguably could have played this year. And if this coaching staff knew that they were going to get fired, maybe they would have played him. I mean, if they, if they would have known that they needed everybody available to win this year. So I, I, I can see some guys like a Damian Daniels making – uh, quite a big jump. Uh, so defensive line for me would be next. Yeah, I, I, I got to stick with the trenches and go with the defensive line. If if the offensive line's off the board, I, I think that there's a lot of guys along that defensive line that that could potentially you know make a huge jump. You mentioned one, Sean, and Damian Daniels. I think you know another young guy is DeAndre Thomas. Um, you know this is an important year, important off season for a guy like Deshaun Neal, in my opinion. You know he's. He's uh, been in the program a couple years, really has not had a great opportunity to show what he could do um, or hasn't earned the right to show what he could do. So this is a big offseason for him. So there's a lot of talent up front. Even the Davis Twins, I think, could could take another jump forward. So uh, we'll see what happens with that group. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. We're taking your questions with Matt Reynolds in here in the mailbag. Our questions from the RSS, and they typically grill me for this, but I'm going to modify um, a question just a little bit. Um, what's a realistic expectation for players that are already in the starting lineup, that are already good players within this system? Uh, who do you expect to develop uh, the most within those players? Well, I'm going to probably take Nate's guys here, but Ty John Lindsay and J.D. Spielman, I think are going to really take even bigger steps forward, particularly Ty John Lindsay. And I think it was probably more of a surprise that he struggled at times this year. Um, and you know, I just expected him to to have more impact plays. We saw a lot of just little short six, seven yard routes from a guy like Tyjon. 
I look for him to make a jump. I think Matt Farniak makes a nice jump in year two as a player on the field for Nebraska. Yeah, um, I was going to go with with Tyjon Lindsey. I, I think Brendan Hymas is a kid that could take a large jump. You know, just kind of got thrown into to being a starter as a as a true freshman uh, at, at the right tackle position. I think that he could be poised to to really take a jump. I think naturally he would take a, a jump just based off experience from year one to year two. But um, I, I think all those guys along that offensive line are gonna are gonna be taking jumps because of the the change in scheme and the possible possibly uh, advances in strength conditioning and, and just overall coaching. So, uh, But Hymas would probably be my guy that I'd point to and say that's the guy that's going to make a big jump. Focusing a little bit on recruiting with this next question, we know Tennessee has been a bit of a thorn in Nebraska's side throughout the early signing period and this early recruiting process with new head coach Jeremy Pruitt. But who, do, who besides Tennessee will be a thorn in Nebraska's side going forward, and who can Nebraska be a thorn in the side of? Well, that's a good question um, because we still don't really have a good read on this staff and kind of how and where they're going to target prospects. But, um, you know, we, we know Florida is going to be probably the new California in a lot of respects that, you know, they're going to go down to Florida. I think, Nate, probably for more DBs and receivers where this previous staff was more California for those DBs and receivers. Yeah, um, that's there's no doubt that Florida is going to be prime recruiting territory for this staff. Um, and so with that being said, I think a guy like Willie Taggart could really be a thorn in, uh, in Nebraska's side. I think that his, his arrival there in the state of uh, Florida, uh, combined with Mark Richt at, at, at um, Miami and, and Dan Mullen at, at the University of Florida, I think all three of those guys could be a thorn, but definitely Willie Taggart. And, and he was a kind of a thorn in Nebraska's side last year when he went to Oregon. So, um, and as far as, you know, who Nebraska could be a thorn in the side of, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. It all kind of depends. To me, it depends on how many high-quality players they're able to, to kind of steal out of that southeast, out of the state of Florida, maybe out of the state of Georgia as well. All right, we got time for about two more. All right, back to the football field. What record of wins and losses will there need to be for the national media narrative to help Nebraska in recruiting as opposed to hurting them? I think they need to, number one, get back to a bowl game. I mean, going 4-8, and eight, being around here all December, it's, that's just not been a good look for this program when you have this, this kind of investment into it. But they need to get a win over somebody that they haven't been able to beat, whether that's a Michigan next year, whether that's a Wisconsin, whether that's an Iowa. I think they need to hold serve at home, and they have seven home games with Michigan State being the toughest. You can make a case that this team should go 6-1 and one and have a shot at 7-0 and oh at home if it all comes together. That's, that's the very optimistic view, but if they can get a win, Nate, over somebody that nobody expects him to beat because of this system, I think that would be a really good start. Yeah, I mean, that would be a huge start, and that would get everybody, the national media included, kind of talking about, you know, the frost effect type of deal. Um, it, frosty. But, yeah, frosty. This Nebraska team's frosty. Um, no, but I think that uh, going over 500 is is – Kind of the the bar, you know, you have to do that in year one to in order to get people talking about you know, things being on the right trajectory uh, here and, and getting back to a bowl game. I mean, you watch the the Texas Missouri bowl game, right? Both those teams, Texas six and six, Missouri came in at seven and five, um, and and they were getting a lot of a lot of pub 
just because of you know who they were, especially Texas. You know, a six and six Texas team was getting a lot of love on that broadcast just because they're Texas. But even though their record wasn't all that great, so if Nebraska can go at least five hundred, get to a bowl game, um, you know, I think that kind of gets the ball rolling, gets the momentum heading in the right direction. Yeah, I'm a big bowl game guy myself. I, I'm not one of these eight or sixteen team playoff guys. I, I just think the bowl is just too valuable to too many other programs. And if you go to a bigger playoff you eliminate a lot of what Nate just talked about, the Texas-Missouri type of game. And those games do have meaning to the fan bases in in those places. And uh, I I just cannot see college football getting away from that. All right, guys, last question here in the mailbag. Now that we're a few days removed from Christmas, all the holiday spirits kind of drained out of us a little bit, (laughs) give me a Christmas hot take. As in movies or uh, yeah, movies, uh, the Christmas spirit, anything like that, anything, any Christmas tradition, hot take. Bowl, bowl games. I, I have this joke with Robin, like bowl games are great for Christmas <laughs> because you know if you're at kind of maybe a Christmas situation where you, you're not fully engaged, <laughs> you can be like, oh, turn on the game, you know, like well, oh, what game's on? Oh, Marshall, North Texas, and you know, it's. <laughs> I think bowl games are basically meant for. Christmas situations that you maybe aren't as fully engaged in to, to have that on as something else to watch. Yeah, yeah. Bowl games definitely drowned out any awkward opportunity <laughs> that you may have with uh, with your immediate or extended family. Uh, no doubt about that, along with uh, some bourbon, too. Uh, but I, I would say my hot take is that the Home Alone series is a better – Better series than the Star Wars series. Ooh. That's that's my hot take. I'm I'm taking Home Alone. It was more impactful to my my childhood than uh, than the, any of the the Star Wars uh, series. Uh, if given the opportunity to watch the Home Alone movie series from start to finish uh, compared to uh, Star Wars, I'm probably picking Home Alone. Dropping heat, I'll try and match it. I'm going to rustle the jimmies of nearly everybody in my generation by <laughs> saying that I didn't think Elf was a good movie at all. I think it's the most overrated Christmas movie. All right, well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, uh, we'll close the show with some thoughts on recruiting. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show as we wrap it up with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus as, you know, it is the dead period, Nate, and uh, signing day behind us. Nebraska officially announced 12 guys signed. Uh, I want to start first, though. C.J. Smith did not sign, Nate, in Masary Maple. We know his situation with the academics, but uh, C.J. Smith, one of those guys that did not sign, remains committed what can you share about his status and um, the likelihood of Nebraska holding on to him to February? Well, I mean, basically, he didn't sign because his coach and his school, they put on this huge National Signing Day ceremony where everybody in the school signs all together. Um, I know, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you could still sign during the early signing period and then you know, be a part of the ceremony on, on February 7th, uh, you know, just in the, and pretend to sign if you want to. But, um, you know, they, they wanted everyone to, to hold off on doing it, and, and CJ wanted to hold off on doing it, so he is. But he's saying and doing all the right things as far as, far as his commitment is concerned. He's saying, um, you know, to, to reporters that he's still firmly committed, 100%, I'm sorry, 1,000% committed. Um, strong as oak. Yeah, strong as oak. And then uh, he is – 
uh, been saying all the right things on social media, but I guarantee you that he's being recruited by other schools. So the bad thing is, is that Nebraska doesn't have him completely locked up at this point and signed, sealed, and delivered, and they're going to have to continue to recruit him very, very hard because he's got other programs that are coming after him. Nate, I've seen a lot of numbers out there, but essentially 80% of the prospects with offers have signed letters of intent. There's only about 20% remaining um, of the uh, of the top, I think, 2,000 prospects or whatever it is um, uh, on the number. Um, what do you anticipate this January stretch as we approach it is going to be like for that, that remaining 20%? It's going to be it's going to be a pretty interesting ride for those guys because they're going to have a lot of brand new schools trying to enter the picture with them. Um, you know, regardless of what their situation is, because out of the guys that are still technically available, some of them are are also technically committed to other programs right now. But I think by not signing, that kind of does send the message to most schools that hey, look, uh, this kid's at least you know, possibly looking around. Uh, and in, in a lot of cases, they're completely back on the market but are just kind of holding on to a spot. So um, it, it's going to be a wild ride for those guys with all the coaches that are going to be coming after them. I guarantee you that every recruiting staff in the country here over the last couple of weeks, they, they've been doing nothing but kind of taking inventory on on who's out there, who is signed, uh, who's still available, what their needs are going forward, and what the plan of attack is going to be as far as who they need to, to start reaching out to and, and start kind of building a dialogue with to line up an official visit here in the in the month of January leading up to, to signing down February 7th. We're talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus. Now let's count C.J. Smith as a guy. So they have 13, theoretically, we'll say eight more guys, Nate, than Nebraska is going to sign, maybe more than eight, but we'll just say eight. Of those final eight, how do you slice and dice the pie? Well, I, I think that you you need – you know, out of the final eight, I think half of them are probably going to come at between the wide receiver and, and defensive back, uh, you know, positions, especially cornerback. I think they need to get probably two more corners in this class. I think they'd like to take at least one more wide out, maybe even two. Uh, an offensive tackle is is a big need. Uh, a, a guy, you know, a, a true pass rusher, whether that is a a defensive end that is a, a rush end, so to speak, or an outside linebacker that is kind of that cat outside linebacker that can rush the passer, but also you know athletic enough to kind of cover in space. Um, you know, big six five, long armed, you know, edge rusher type of guy uh, that could you know be extremely disruptive off the edge. Um, you know, and then from there, um, you know, I, I think that you you could go a number of different directions. Um, probably another running back. I think they've made it pretty clear that they'd like to add another running back uh, in this class by by the way that they're going after a guy like Tazan Henry. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of how things are going to play out. Um, and you could probably, you know, with a couple of those spots, you you might be able to, to go with two more offensive tackles if they can make it work or, or go with an extra DB and an extra wide receiver if they can make that work. But for the most part, those are the remaining needs in this class. Nate, 33% of the guys signed were junior college players. They, they got four guys in this class already that could start next year. Are they done on the junior college market? I don't believe so. Um, you know, we've seen them go out and offer one of the top JUCO DNs just here recently. 
um, Dorian uh, Dorian Gerald, who's uh, who's out of California, uh, is is by a lot of you know a lot of places considered the the top overall junior college defensive end in the country. Uh, you know, I had just a tremendous season this past year. Uh, they they've offered him. They're they're trying to get him on campus. He's six three, two hundred fifty five pound kid that is just extremely disruptive. Uh, in his film, he plays in a three four in, in junior college. So I think that uh, that's part of the appeal as well for Nebraska. Uh, so if they could pick up a JUCO D end, and I still think if they could go out and pick up a JUCO offensive tackle. Uh, that would be ideal as well. Although we've seen them kind of make a push, making new new offers out to high school offensive tackles. But uh, those are the two spots where I think you know if it if they could, they would definitely like to add JUCO players at. Nate and I know um, they're going to do some 2019. I want to stay on the in-state as we talk uh, some in-state recruiting. There's already five 2019 prospects in Nebraska that have Power Five offers. Obviously, uh, two of them are committed to Nebraska. Uh, Garrett Nelson at Scotts Bluff and Garrett Snodgrass of York. Uh, but then you got Chris Hickman and Nick Henrick of Omaha Burke, a tight end and a linebacker prospect. And then Ethan Piper of Norfolk Catholic has an Iowa offer. Man, 2019, this is a great year for Scott Frost to walk in here on the in-state recruiting front. Yeah, it really is. I don't think you could ask for you know much much more than what, what, what he's getting as far as the in-state talent for 2019. And and I have a feeling that they're not, you know, this this class is only going to continue to grow. I, I could see if a handful of more kids uh, eventually earning Power Five offers in, in this in-state cl- uh, crop of talent. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, the the one thing about it though is that some of these guys aren't going to be slam dunks to to all go to Nebraska. I look at a guy like Nick Henrik, who is. Um, you know, kind of an Iowa legacy. I think his his dad and his mother, to dad, my knowledge, dad played tennis at yeah, Iowa. Yeah, his dad played tennis at Iowa. I think both of his parents went to Iowa, um, so that's that's not going to be a slam dunk to get him. Um, you know, Chris Hickman is best friends with Nick Henrik. Uh, he's visited Iowa with him several times too, uh, and he's not originally from Nebraska to begin with. So, um, you know, there are, there are maybe a few more obstacles to overcome uh, with some of these guys that are still out there, you know, that may not be slam dunks like you, you used to be able to kind of just bank on the in-state kid when as soon as he gets a Nebraska offer, you know, committing shortly thereafter. But um, without, a, without a doubt, the, the amount of talent in this, in this 2019 class is, is very intriguing and, and, like I said, a very good situation for, for this coaching staff to kind of be stepping into. Yeah, a couple of other guys, Nate, uh, that are prospects on the radar, I would say, are Makai Butler, Omaha North, Xander Gray, Omaha North, probably two Division One caliber recruits. It's just a matter of you know where they fall and, and some of the academic things that could factor in as well. You got Darius Luff at Lincoln High, who is a hurdle champion. Um, you know, he he's a really explosive athlete. Cedric Case, the quarterback at Lincoln High, is already garnering a lot of Division One interest. Dylan Couts, the fastest athlete in the state, um, Norfolk Catholic running back who legitimately runs a four three four four forty, um, kind of reminds me of a Ty Kildow coming out. And you got Caden McCormick, uh, Lincoln Southwest, a, a good inside linebacker guy to keep your eyes on. Um, so that you're right. I mean, this is a, a very, very good year um, where I think all the guys I mentioned just now are, are at least FCS or better. And we know that here in January. Yeah, there's no doubt. All those guys are FCS or better. Um, in fact, a, a couple of those guys already have SCFs offers. So um, but yet and I think that we'll see 
the large majority of the guys that you just mentioned end up with power five offers um, or or at least group of five offers, several group of five offers, whether that's from an Ohio or uh, Wyoming or, or whatever. I think that uh, we're going to see the state of Nebraska be recruited by a lot of different schools this year uh, and quite heavily. And in 2020, we already know Xavier Betts, the receiver at Bellevue West, has a Nebraska offer. Uh, his teammate, uh, Javion Ducker at Bellevue West, has an early South Dakota State offer. There's some really good young talent in the state uh, that we'll all we'll keep our eyes on here all throughout February when we begin our in-state tour. But um, that wraps it up here for this final 2017 edition of the Husker Online show uh, from everyone here at Husker Online. Happy New Year as you make your way in here to 2019. <laughs> Happy New Year here as you make your way in to 2018. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 